Okay, what's death story, mother? Interface 2037 ready for inquiry. Request evaluation of current procedures to generate podcast. Unable to compute. Available data insufficient. Request options for possible podcast. Unable to compute. Available data insufficient. What are my chances? Does not compute. Does not compute. Does not compute. Hello, looters! Welcome to yet another special episode of the Movie Loot Halloween Edition. This is our eighth special episode. Remember, this comes out every other month, and in this, the loot is a specific scene I love from a film I love. I take that scene, break it apart, analyze it, and see why it works. For those that are new to the show, we have other special episodes on scenes from films like The Godfather 2, Die Hard, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Seven, and others. So check them out. Since it's October, I'm going to tackle a scene from a great film, a film that's probably the best mix of sci-fi and horror, and that is Ridley Scott's Alien from 1979. And the scene I want to talk about is the death of one of the characters, and no, it's not the iconic dinner scene. But as usual, let's start with a bit of a background. Alien is one of those films that I don't remember when I saw for the first time, but that I know I've seen lots of times ever since I was a kid. It was frequently shown on TV, and then as I got older, I think I rented it a couple of times, and then of course I bought it. It's one of my favorite sci-fi films, and just one of my favorite films, period. I think it's Ridley Scott's biggest masterpiece, and one of the most perfectly crafted films ever. And even though the dinner scene I just referenced is the one that usually comes up as the most iconic, with time I've come to really appreciate and love the scene I'm going to discuss, which has to do with a certain character examining the ship's air ducts looking for the alien. Now be warned, like all my special episodes, this will be an in-depth discussion, so the film will be spoiled. If you haven't seen Alien, turn this off, see it now, and then come back, okay? As of now, it is streaming free on Fubo, AMC+, DirecTV, Sling, and it's also available for rent in various streaming platforms. So let's begin! Transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon to repeat intervals of 12 seconds. SOS. Human. Unknown. Oh, 
never seen anything like it. That transmission. Mother's deciphered part of it. It doesn't look like an SOS. Well, what is it? Well, I, it looks like a warning. So, to set things up, Alien is a sci-fi horror film released in 1979. The film was written by Dan O'Bannon and it was the second film for director Ridley Scott after The Duelists. The film had some mixed reviews from critics at first, but it was a box office success and eventually earned its current status as one of the best sci-fi films ever. Alien follows the crew of a commercial spaceship called the Nostromo that are taken off course to investigate a distress signal from a nearby moon. As the crew reluctantly go out to examine it, they find themselves being hunted by a deadly alien creature. And that's the gist of it. The alien creature somehow makes its way into the ship and basically starts hunting the crew one by one, but the scene I want to talk about is the one where Captain Dallas is pursued and eventually killed in the ship air ducts. So to analyze that scene, I'm going to talk about four things. Number one, the setup. First, we have to talk about how they got where they are. The film tells us that this crew, basically a mining crew, workers, are heading home when the ship awakens them from stasis and tells them they have to investigate a distress signal. There's a bit of push and pull and power play as they argue about the hows and whys of this, but they eventually comply, although with some reluctance. As they investigate the moon where the signal comes from, they find an abandoned ship where one of the officers, Kane, played by John Hurt, who is second in command, ends up with a creature stuck on his face, the famous face hogger. Kane is taken back to the Nostromo and despite Ripley's objection, obviously played by the great Sigourney Weaver, she is overridden by the ship scientist Ash, played by Ian Holm, violating all safety protocols of quarantine. The creature eventually dies and Kane wakes up not knowing that the face hogger had put something inside him, which, as we all know from the iconic dinner scene I have already mentioned, finds his way out, killing Kane in the process. Right now, I'm digging food. Uh, you just know, know you know what it's made of. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. I don't want to talk about what it's made of. I'm eating this. <laughs> What's the matter? The food ain't that bad, baby. Okay. <laughs> you chill for Charles. Get him. 
As they start looking for the quote-unquote animal, the now fully grown alien ends up killing Brett, played by Harry Dean Stanton, as well. of important things happen in the process in terms of the narrative and the story. First, you're killing off the second in command, which pretty much leaves a leadership gap, at least from the perspective of the audience. Because now you have the big boss, Captain Dallas, played by Tom Skerritt, and then you have two women in Ripley and Lambert, played by Veronica Cartwright. Now, there is a way in which Ridley Scott plays with the audience's expectations here in terms of the role of women, particularly for 1979, which, consciously or not, makes us lean towards Dallas as the one who'll be the big hero. He's the captain and a seemingly capable and strong man, whereas the rest of the characters are from one minority group or another, which, let's face it, in most films, especially old and horror, rarely make it to the end. So even though now in 2021 we've accustomed ourselves to female action heroes and who Ripley is, that wasn't necessarily the mindset of 1979 and I'm sure Scott was playing with the notion that audiences would be rooting for Dallas to be the hero. Another important thing that's established in that scene is the size of the creature. When it came out of Kane, it was small and seemed more like a pest. They even tried to catch it with nets. But after killing Brett, they know he has grown in a very short amount of time. So I think that adds to the dread and fear that they might have for this creature. The uncertainty of what they are facing. Finally, right before Dallas goes into the air ducts, he goes to talk to Mother, the ship's main computer, which tells him that there is no procedure or plan to eliminate the creature and that they apparently have no chances. So I'm sure that's hanging on his mind as he volunteers to go in the air ducts himself. The second thing I want to talk about is the setting. 
So the crew has determined that the alien is using the air ducts to move itself, so they come up with this plan to try to trap the creature or push it towards the area where they can jettison it into space. The air ducts are obviously a small dark space, which works perfectly from a horror film perspective. The crew has some flamethrowers to defend themselves, which Dallas takes into the air ducts, while the others guide him through the schematics of where he is and where to go. Ash has also designed a device to detect movement by keying off micro changes in air density, or so he says. So this small cramped space contributes greatly to the tension of the scene since it obviously limits the options that our character has to move around. The third thing I want to talk about are the performances. During the scene in question, we have Dallas in the air ducts while Ripley and the others lead him. But in my opinion, there are two key performances here. Dallas, obviously, and Lambert, like I said, played by Veronica Cartwright. First, Tom Skerritt subtly portrays the growing fear in Dallas. He starts calm and collected, moving decidedly through the different junctions, as they call it. But as he gets deeper and deeper and the alien seems to get closer, you can hear in his voice and in his actions that he's losing his cool. He's getting nervous. I think that the moment of realization is when he finds the sticky substance on the floor, because he knows what that means. I've lost the signal. What? You sure? It's not there. I mean, it's got to be around there somewhere. Check that out, Lambert. You may be getting interference. Dallas, are you sure there is no sign of it? I mean, it is there. It's got to be around there. Dallas? Am I, am I Claire Lambert? I want to get the hell out of here. Oh, God. It's moving right towards you. You need to remember that he knows his chances. He spoke to Mother, and he knows that he's probably going to die there in the ship, if not right then. And there's a great use of sound as you listen to his breathing, but I will get to that on my final point. But the other key performance is Lambert's. Like I said, it's portrayed by Veronica Cartwright, who apparently disliked the character's emotional weakness. And if you've seen the film, you've noticed that most of the time she's hesitant, reluctant, afraid, screaming, or simply freezed by fear. But the thing is that Scott or someone from the production crew told her, you are the audience. You are a reflection of what the audience is feeling, which is great and true because most of us, if found in this situation, will be hesitant, reluctant, afraid, screaming, or simply frozen by fear. So in this moment, as Ripley is trying to lead Dallas, the main voice you hear is Lambert complaining, get out of there, he's getting close, it's right there, which serves to heighten our senses and our response to what is happening. Oh God, it's moving right towards you. Uh. Move, get out of there. Not that the idea of a deadly alien approaching you in an air dog wasn't terrifying enough, but her constant desperation only makes things more terrifying, and it's believable. I don't think her character comes out as a coward or as a crybaby. She is indeed the personification of a regular person in an impossibly terrifying situation. The final thing I want to talk about is the excellent use of lights and sound, because to me, those two are the key for the scene. 
This is a scene that isn't scary for what we see, but rather for what we don't see and what we hear. And with Dallas stuck in this air duct, there's obviously not going to be much light. The only light we get is from the flashlight and the flamethrower he's holding, which makes for a great effect. As he turns around every corner, there's always dark near him, behind him, close to him, which makes you feel not sure of where the alien could come from. In addition, you get the flawless use of sound, or lack of in some moments, from the fairly minimal score to accentuate certain moments, to the use of sounds like Dallas breathing, like I mentioned, or the beeping of the device, or the static in the end. Like I said before, Dallas breathing helps us notice that he's tired and that he's getting more afraid. But I really like how they handle the beeping sound of the device. First, it goes silent, which makes us perk up wondering where the alien went. But when it reappears, it works as some sort of proxy hard monitor for Dallas, because you have the alien getting closer and the beeping gets more rapid and intense, which also means that Dallas is probably getting more tense, afraid, his adrenaline is pumping, and as the beeping intensifies, so does our fear and tension, paired with Lambert's screams through the radio. And as Dallas is trying to get away from where he thinks the alien is coming from, he ends up walking right into it. Move, get out of there! I don't know if this was planned all along or if it was a budget decision, but the fact that we only see the light hit the alien and the cut to it extending its hands before the scene cuts to Ripley and Lambert is genius. And I love this moment because it is an example of how you don't need gore to scare people. All we have here is darkness and sounds. And it works perfectly as the moment cuts with the beeping stopping, which means no more Dallas, and this freaky static that gets inside your ears. It's perfect. And again, an example of how to use simple things to stimulate the senses of the audience to make them afraid. So, those are my thoughts on that excellent scene from Alien. Like I said, I think this is a perfect example of how to do terror properly and how to scare people, but also how it subverts expectations of the roles of the different characters. Like I said, it's not in what you see, but what you can put in the audience's mind. And I really love how James Cameron sort of emulates this at one point in the sequel, but we can leave that for another episode. But that's not the only great moment from this film. As usual, I went on Twitter and asked my looters for their favorite scene or moment from the film, and this is what I got. My friend Tim, at Tim underscore Doggerty, put up a picture of the moment when Brett faces the alien and said, I love how Harry Dean Stanton plays this scene. It's not your typical abject terror response, but more of a deer caught in the headlights. He is fully mesmerized. Also that they toggle back to the cat for a reaction. And I agree, I commented to him that there are many instances where characters display awe for the alien instead of fear. Obviously, we have this moment with Brad, we have Ash, and other characters as well. My friend Jose Morales at Soy Jose Mora put up a gif of the moment when Ripley confronts Ash and tells him, listen to me, if we break quarantine, we could all die. And I really like this face-off between the two because it establishes what the power dynamics are within this crew. And like I said, we don't necessarily expect Ripley to be the hero, but here she's showing that she can hold her own against this man. 
My friend Nostalgia Cass at DW Lundberg said, The bit where you discover Ash's true intentions scarred me as a kid and was always much more terrifying to me than any scene with the actual alien. Like any true masterpiece though, the movie itself and its underlying subtext continues to bend and twist over time. And this is another great example because when the reveal that Ash is an android comes up, it's great mostly thanks to Holmes' performance. Home plays this moment with such a chilling and menacing calmness. And you can see this unhinged nature within that calmness that it's terrifying as well. So that's a great mention. So that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of The Movie Loot. If you like this breakdown, make sure you check us out on most podcast platforms from Apple Podcasts and Spotify to Google Podcasts, CastBox, and many others. Follow us and share the link so more people can join us in The Loot. Also, if you have talks to share, you can look me up on Twitter at TFCGT or the podcast at TMML2021. Finally, stay tuned for our next regular episode, which will come out in the next days, where I will talk about all the horror films I've seen in October. And in November, we're going to have a great guest to talk about one of my favorite genres or styles of film, so stay tuned. In the meantime, I'm going to try not to keep on drifting in space. This is the final report of the movie podcast, The Movie Loot, host and producer reporting. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, Spotify or Apple Podcasts will pick me up. This is Carlo, last survivor of the Movilu, signing off.